Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Phillips Levin of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So, Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, soon to be 14, then 12. We are excited for everyone that's going to be here and everyone that is here as long as they are. I am your host, Philip Slave, and thank you for joining us for our Monday episode. Uh, Jamie has had a long weekend. She is tired. So we're giving her the day off. But joining me, because I know you don't want to just listen to me ramble for an hour, uh, is my other illustrious co-host, uh, Andy Mitz. Yeah, it's great to be here. Unfortunately, I got the great end of, you know, the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Jamie got the not quite so great end of it. So um, glad to be here, though. I am absolutely ecstatic with the Kansas Jayhawks, of course, going to the Final Four. Just got done recording my own podcast talking about that. Uh, so, yeah, I am absolutely phenomenally super happy right now. So, And I'm sure you can hear it in my voice. I am exhausted, but absolutely over the moon. It's like happy. It's that happy tide. You're like, man, I'm running on a high. I don't have much left in the tank, but I'm in a good mood. So that's where I'm at right now. Exactly. I mean, you should be. Like, it, thank goodness we have one Big Twelve team in the Final Four on the men's side. Uh, Texas. We're recording this at eight o'clock. Uh, Texas will be playing tonight on the women's side for a shot at the Final Four. They're facing off against one seed Stanford. So by the time this is done being recorded. By the time you listen to this, you'll know if there is a team on the women's side who is also in the Final Four in Texas. Hopefully to see that. Uh, quick update. Uh, we posted on Twitter. I was feeling generous. And uh, if any of the Big 12 teams made the Final Four, we would give a home field shirt to one fan of that school who followed us, either liked or, or commented on the Twitter post. Right? I was like, why not? Uh, well, 
we have one from the men's side, so we're going to go ahead and announce the winner here because there weren't a whole lot of Kansas fans who liked where they got a ton of Texas Tech and a ton of Houston. Yeah, seriously, of Kansas, Kansas fans. fans, what what is up? Come on. I don't know who you're talking to because I think like three listened to them and I think one of them is you. So uh, Fair, fair. <laughs> uh, Bob Noller, at Bob Noller on Twitter. Uh, congrats, man. Uh, you're going to get a home field shirt. I will DM you and we will get that set up so that you can get your, uh, your well, you don't have to get a Kansas shirt. You can get a shirt of your choosing from home field apparel. Uh, because the stuff's incredible. If you want the Strut of Destiny, which, man, that shirt's so good. Oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's fantastic. It's, it's incredible. I've had multiple people text me like, hey, uh, what's the promo code? Uh, we're going to go buy some shirts, and I want to get this uh, Strut of Destiny shirt. I'm like, of course you do. Yeah, Who it literally that? jumped to the top of my list of the things that I want to get from Homefield. I have a list of prob- that's probably like 20 or 30 things long, and Strut of Destiny immediately jumped to number one. Uh, that promo code, by the way, is NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1, to get you 15% off your first order at Homefield Apparel, home of the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will find anywhere. They just keep putting out great stuff. The Kansas line and the Cincinnati line that were both put out as part of big new Saturday Season 3 were incredible. Um, I-, I know some things they have coming down the pipe. <laughs> I'm very excited. Very excited about it. But you'll find out about that later. Uh, so don't forget the promo code NETWORK12. N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2, 15% off your first order. I can't think of a better way for Kansas fans to celebrate a return to the Final Four than with some really cool Kansas gear from Homefield Apparel. So go check it out. Bob, I'm going to DM you if you're listening. You're going to get a shirt, whatever you want. Straight up Destiny, something from Georgia Tech, something from Kansas. Um, We'll find out. Uh, Speaking of Kansas, okay. Andy, a lot has been said up to this point about Kansas' path to the Final Four, um, that they got the easier of the regions, right? And that the path is laid out before them. I mean, they, they had to play the eight seed. They played a four, and Providence was a nice four seed. And the and Creighton and Providence have both given Kansas games. But it wasn't the most challenging of four seeds. It hasn't been the most complicated of brackets. You get to this point, and you got Miami in the Elite Eight. And so I... I but I don't want it to be one of those situations where it's like, oh, Kansas got an easy path. That's how they got here. Kansas has been improving and improving, improving, improving throughout the season. Remy Martin, and and as his performance has continued to uh, in, incline, especially through the postseason and here in the NCAA tournament, like I I know the story of the Final Four is going to be the one that I don't even want to talk about because I'm already tired of it. And I was tired of it before the Sweet 16 game started. People were like, do you know what could happen? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need that ACC circle jerk in, in my ears. I will not be listening to the National College Basketball Podcast this week because I don't want to, I don't want to hear about it. Um, the story's not going to be Kansas, but I feel like Kansas should be a bigger story than they are. And part of the reason that they are not is because of the quote-unquote assumed easy path that Kansas had laid out before them to get to this point. Yeah, I think what a lot of people forget is that the you know, the path to the national championship is littered with teams that had a quote-unquote easy path and weren't able to get to the Final Four. Kansas did that against VCU on this day 11 years ago. Like, VCU beat a number one team in Kansas who was expected to just waltz their way right in because everything opened up for them. Like, that's what a lot of Kansas fans were talking about coming into the week is like, oh my gosh, this is eerily similar to, you know, the year that Kansas lost to VCU in 2011. Um, you know, this is one of those things where anytime you make it to the final four, you have to go through good teams. Yes. 
They may not be the, the good teams that you expected to have to go through based off of the bracket. But Miami was on an incredible tear. Like, they played really well. They did a lot of things really well. Providence is a very good defensive team, and their hallmark is taking teams that are technically better than them, you know, that are rated better than them, dragging them down into a rock fight, and making it so that you get to the end of the game and you have to out-execute them after getting beat up, you know, for 38 minutes. Kansas did that. Like, they they got down in the dumps with Providence and was able to be the team that got, kind of got out of the pit there. Like, this is one of those things. Like, it, it, we like to talk about narratives of easy pathways. There is no such thing as an easy pathway in the, in the NCAA tournament. There is, you can get lucky with teams kind of coming out. But it's all about the individual matchups that you face up in, in, in those teams. I don't I don't know that like Gonzaga losing to Arkansas is not something that should have happened. Gonzaga is much more talented, but Arkansas matched up really well with what Gonzaga wanted to do and they out executed them. It really it really just comes down to that. And so you can talk about how Kansas theoretically had, you know, the easy the easier matchups, but I looked at a lot of those teams and we talked about this over on the Rock Talk Pod. Like those are a lot of teams that did specific things that Kansas had shown throughout the year that they struggle with and Kansas was able to overcome all of those. And so I think that's, what's most impressive to me is the growth that we've seen from those guys over the course of the last three weeks, you know, the big, the big toe tournament. And then the first two weekends of the NCAA tournament where guys have stepped up and the second half of that game against Miami is where the offense finally started clicking. But the biggest thing, the most impressive thing and why I think a lot of teams um, or a lot of national media people are overlooking the Jayhawks is because you look at how good their defense has Im- has improved, like how much that defense has improved by. They're now 17th in Ken Palm, you know, whereas earlier, like like in, in, in February, they were 50th. So they went from 50th at some point in the season all the way up to 17th going into the Final Four. That is a phenomenal improvement. That's Bill Self doing what Bill Self does, which is getting his defense in the best shape that they're in all season long in the in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, the other thing that kind of gets overlooked, the last or every single time that Kansas has faced Villanova in the NCAA tournament, the winner of that matchup goes on to win the national title game. So I'm telling you right now, if Kansas beats Villanova or honestly, even if Villanova beats Kansas, um, that's a really good sign for whoever comes out of this side of the bracket. I made the comment last Monday um, that... I had this weird feeling that we were based off of how they had ended the season, lost to North Carolina in the end of the regular season, lost in the ACC championship game to, to Virginia tech. The Duke was going to make the run to the national championship game and lose there. Like that's just, that's the vibe I was getting. And um, I was told like, Bleh. I was like, yeah, I know it's gross. Um, my, my, my weird vibe is starting to feel better. And my weird vibe of, Duke making it to lose to Kansas is feeling better because look, I get it. The, the storyline is going to be Duke and coach K and this final year and yada, yada, yada. But we've talked about Kansas two years ago, Kansas was good enough to win the national championship and they felt like they were going to be the favorites going into that tournament. And then it gets canceled because of COVID last year, Kansas was good. Kansas had a legitimate shot to go and win the national championship and their season got wrecked at the end of it by COVID and a team having COVID come through the team. And now you get to here. And I guess it's, I know it's a different team. It's, it's, it's three, it's two years later from two years ago, but it does kind of feel like 
It's almost like two straight postseasons of disappointment for Kansas is finally setting up to pay off. And look, they've got to get past Villanova, and Villanova is very good. It's the number nine adjusted offense by, by Ken Palm, number 18th on defense. I mean, Kansas is seven on offense, 17 on defense, so they're right neck and neck with each other. And, and I know Villanova is going to be without Justin Moore, which is a huge loss for Villanova. So, But I don't want to take anything away from this game of like, nah, Kansas should win it. But there is like, while all the focus is on Duke, from a Big 12 side, from paying attention to Kansas over the few years, I'm, I almost feel like there's a little bit of potential destiny for Kansas here that is not being talked about because we get to have, I'm sorry, get to, we're being having Duke, North Carolina, the final four forced down our throats uh, instead. Right, right. The the media found a juicy carrot in talking about Coach K winning it in his final season. And, oh, oh, now they can talk about Duke, North Carolina for the first time ever in the NCAA tournament, um, you know, in Duke, in Coach K's final season. They could not wait to slobber all over themselves talking about this. And that's really what we're dealing with with the national media. Um, but look, Big 12 is used to being overlooked, right? ACC for the longest time was considered to be the best conference by a lot of media people, even though Ken Palm statistics and most of the advanced metrics consistently show that the big 12 is the best, has been the best conference over the past, you know, 12 years. Like there legitimately, you can look at the, the 12 year, the last 12 years, uh, the big 12 has been the best conference over that entire span. Yes. There was individual years where maybe the big 10 was better in a particular year based off of certain metrics or things like that. But you look at the consistency of this conference how well this conference has has shown out in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, there is a very real and honestly, I think a, a somewhat likely opportunity for the Big 12 to have, you know, think about it this way. Texas Tech lost in the title game, okay, in 2019. If the 2020 tournament did not get canceled, we could be talking about a three-year-in-a-row Big 12 champion because the, the 2020 tournament, you had Kansas and Baylor that both were legitimate national title contenders. So theoretically, you could have three back-to-back-to-back Big 12 champions and a you know Big 12 national runner-up in four years straight. That is ridiculous how great the conference has been at the top. And it hasn't just been one individual team. You know, there's been three different programs that have gotten to the pinnacle that have almost either are either won it or almost won it. And like that is fantastic for the conference. And so, yeah, I do think that Kansas has a very legitimate shot. You know, I saw that that basically Duke and Kansas are are basically neck and neck in terms of odds to actually win the national title. Duke is a little bit ahead, but I think, again, a lot of that has to do with narratives and just the fact that a lot of people are, I guess, overestimating, I think, what Villanova is going to do against Kansas and underestimating, I think, what North Carolina potentially could do. Um, you know, like the, the foregone conclusion is that Duke is going to beat North Carolina, but it's going to be a game that everybody wants to talk about. I don't know. It may not actually be that great of a game. Um, and that Villanova is going to give Kansas a bunch of, of issues. Um, but Villanova is now going to be dealing without Justin Moore, who's their second leading scorer after his Achilles, uh, tear that he suffered in the elite eight game. So, you know, it's one of those things where I think everything is kind of shaping up. Like you talked about for a Kansas versus Duke national title game. Um, and man, it would be sweet as a Kansas fan to be the team that sends Coach K out with a loss that keeps him from getting that national title, you know, in the very last game that he actually coaches. But um, regardless, like it's shaping up to be exactly what CBS execs want, or I guess in this case, TBS execs, because they're the ones that actually have the games. Um, 
you know, where you have four legitimate national powers in, in college basketball, at least historically, at least, um, that are all going to be in the final four that a lot of people are going to talk about. And, you know, you get to, again, have national media people slobber over one of the games as much as possible uh, because it happens to be a, you know, super storied rivalry with a coach that's leaving. So, and, and again, I've already, I've already mentioned it way too many times. I feel really dirty about talking about it so much, but uh, I get the feeling that we're going to hear about it so many more times elsewhere that, uh, you know, I, I couldn't avoid it entirely. So I was just uh, bracing you guys for all of that, but no, uh, ugh, no, I, I agree. I mean, but you know what? Really? This has been a phenomenal tournament. There's been mm-hmm. literally everything you could ask for in this tournament. St. Peter's making a historic run to the Elite Eight as a 15 seed was phenomenal. I, I was holding out hope that St. Peter's was going to actually make that Final Four run to kind of finish it off at that point um, and literally give us probably the greatest story in sports history to, to this point. Um, they weren't able to do it, but it was still a fantastic run for them. And, you know, there was upsets all over the place. There was a lot of really great teams that were making runs that were showing that they were disrespected. I thought Houston was absolutely phenomenal. I really thought that Houston was going to pull that off and that we were going to have a, a Kansas-Houston Final Four matchup. I was really looking forward to that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's literally, I think, everything you could ask for in the tournament. Like, this is this was, to me at least, and yes, I know I'm biased as a Kansas fan who had their, their teammate the Final Four, but I think this is literally everything you could ask for in a tournament. Maybe an individual team here and there should have won instead of a different one. Obviously you don't want to deal with the refing issues, but um, you know, refing issues is a, is a college basketball issue, not an NCAA tournament issue. Yeah. So, but this year has been especially bad. I mean, to your point, the first weekend was amazing. I think sweet 16 was a lot of fun. The elite eight games, Houston Villanova was a six point game that was the closest game there was, and it wasn't really that close of a game. So the lead age been a little bit other for them for the winners. The games have been a bit disappointing. Really Fair. Right. There ha- that ha- hasn't been there. Um, we haven't had to worry about the refs because the games have been such blowouts. No, no, that's they fair. haven't had that's enough fair. impact. Um, up to this point, everything has been great. And I would expect, I mean, we have four blue bloods and yes, folks, Villanova is a blue blood. <laughs> they won two titles this decade. They're blue blood. They've been good for it's a great program. Uh, Kansas, Villanova, Duke, North Carolina. We could have two really good games, but we've uh, the year they got all four and one seeds. Kansas destroyed North Carolina. So like, I, my my hope right. here is for two good games, just because that would be nice. Um, but I am absolutely rooting for Kansas as a Big Twelve fan. Having back to back Big Twelve champions would be awesome. Having three straight NCAA tournaments with a Big Twelve team in the title game. And having them, as you mentioned, three different ones, Texas Tech, Baylor, Kansas. At a certain point, people, like, like yeah. let's have a real conversation about how good the Big 12 is. Like, you, you, we get the, the the ear service, but I want I want the actual, like, not to mention the coach that took Texas Tech to the national championship is at Texas. So, uh, like, I, it just, I get it. Um I get the ACC love. It's there's a lot of media reasons for it. It's a lot of history for it. And the Big 12 has not had a lot of success in the NCAA tournament from a national championship standpoint until these last, the last two, and hopefully this third one. But if the Big 12 can get to the point where three straight NCAA tournaments, you've had a Big 12 team in it, and it's a different one, and you get two straight Big 12 national champions. I do think some of that narrative will start to change because that's enough evidence to say, 
hey, six teams in, they all made the the second round this year. Texas, like, I, 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 you have to have a, enough. It's just been Kansas and everybody else is how this conference has been treated, and Kansas has disappointed in NCAA tournament a lot. And so that has hurt the Big 12's reputation. Despite how good of a conference it is, people are like, it's really good on Ken Palm. Yeah, I, I, from a Big 12 fan standpoint, if you don't like Kansas, whatever. But there, if you want the conference to have more respect, Kansas winning a national championship this year helps in that. Oh, effort. for sure. You know, it, it's it's one of those things too because people talk about the Big Ten, and the Big Ten got nine teams in the in the tournament this year, but it's been twenty. It's we're we're coming up on twenty five years since someone from the Big Ten actually won a national title. And that matters for something like the fact that Kansas, I'm sorry, the the fact that the big 12 could have that many national champions, right. In that kind of time frame, there is going to be huge for the conference and their reputation. And the fact that it's all teams that are staying in the big 12, like it'd be different if like Oklahoma won one or Texas won one and that team is going to be leaving. Right. Mm-hmm. But no, these are teams that are in the big 12 and are staying in the big 12 and the, you know that should get the conference more respect than it's getting right now. Oh, and oh, by the way, Houston's awesome. Oh, of course. <laughs> like, oh, by right. the way, you're adding Houston, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> Kelvin Sampson. Well, Houston, you're adding Kelvin Sampson. Let's let's have the. You're adding Kelvin Sampson. Okay. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. I'm, I'm very excited. Um, obviously, we're hoping that Texas wins on the women's side, so we get a, a Big Twelve team in the women's tournament over. Um, do we, do we need to talk? Part of me is like, do we need to talk about the teams that lost? Do we need to re rehash that? Is that a thing that people want to listen to? Like, do we need to talk about the only thing that Iowa I will State? say, like, I'm just trying to think if there's Texas any Tech. of the teams that like, like Texas tech losing to Duke. I still think that was a really good game for them. They had some tough breaks that happened, you know, going down the stretch, but it's not like they completely gave up or like, it's not like they got completely demolished by Duke. They were in that game until the very end. I thought it was a really good performance, especially by Mark Adams and, you know, team in the first year of Mark Adams as, as a coach. Um, you know, it was, it was super impressive. Like I, I think that Texas tech is set up for a lot more success, um, which wasn't a guarantee, right. Going from Chris Beard to Mark Adams. I don't think that they like, they didn't miss a beat this year. I don't, I'm not worried about them at all if, if I'm a Texas nope. Tech fan. So, um, you I, know, I think, of, just real quick before that, yeah. I think that's a game where that is an incredibly well coached team. And Duke's star power was able to play like they are expected to do in the close of that game to help Duke get that win over Texas Tech. Like, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't take anything away from that game as a negative to Tech other than they lost. Um, that was more about what Duke's star players did to win Duke the game right. than it was about necessarily what Texas Tech did to lose the game. I know Duke shot well in the second half. I think that was more about Duke than it was Texas Tech. I think Texas Tech did an incredible job. I think that run was great. I think it was a legitimate team that you catch Duke on a, a normal night based off how they played most of the season. Texas Tech wins that. Duke's on a run right now. So, yeah. For sure. You know, the, the other team, obviously, we, we have to talk about Iowa State. Honestly, I'm surprised we haven't yet at this point because what they did in this tournament was absolutely phenomenal. And and TJ Otzelberger, what he's done with this team is definitely, like, something that I am all here for as a Big 12 fan. Um, look, I, I know a lot of 
you know, Iowa State people. And, and while they were disappointed with the way that the season, the regular season ended, right, after the way that they started the year, um, the fact that they were able to make that run in the big t- in the in the NCAA tournament was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, yes, they got a little bit fortunate being able to, you know, face an LSU team that was without their head coach. Um, but I still think that they showed a lot of grit being able to actually come back from that game because LSU is a fairly talented team. Um, so it's not like Iowa State beat a bunch of nobodies. And Wisconsin, I thought, was a, it was a great matchup for Iowa State. I thought that it, it was probably the best opportunity that a team like Iowa State would have had was to face a Wisconsin as opposed to one, any of the other three seeds that were out there. Um, I thought they did a phenomenal job actually pulling it off. And, and look, they just ran out of gas against against Miami. It happens, unfortunately. Um, Miami was a another one of those super hot teams that was just on a tear that was probably well above the way that you would expect them to play. Um, and, and Iowa State happened to run into it. But you can say the same thing about Iowa State. Like, Iowa State, by the end of the year, was not the team that performed the way they did in the, in the NCAA tournament. But the way that they were able to get that turned around, um, you know, I'll be interested to see what the roster looks like for Iowa State next year. But you have to think with what Otzelberger threw together that quickly, the opportunity to recruit guys, to bring in high school guys, and then to kind of now to see what he's able to get out of the, the transfer portal based off of this year's success. I'm excited for Iowa State fans uh, to see what they're actually going to get from this team next year. Agreed. I, I thought the Big 12 did well. Again, everybody made it to the second round. Yeah. I, I, we can we can complain about, we've talked about those games, but like every Big 12 team made it to the second round. That's a, that alone is awesome. And and to get three into the Sweet 16, to have a team here at the Final Four, for a conference that only got six teams in, as good as it was, to only get six and to perform that well, speaks to the quality of the Big 12. Hey there, 1012 Network listeners. This is Dustin from the Scott Nolan Podcast, the original Houston Cougar athletics podcast, and the latest member of the 1012 Network. Uh, my co-host, Sam, do you want to tell the fine folks what the Scott Nolan Podcast is all about? I sure do. We come on here at least once a week and we talk all things going on in the world of Houston Cougar sports. Plus, we usually find time for some of what's going on in our future conference, our current conference, and really the college sports world at large. We're not just a football, men's basketball podcast. We really pride ourselves here on the fact that every single team that wears the Scarlet and Albino in Houston and their jerseys gets time on our show. Plus, from time to time, we bring on some guests ranging from opposing team experts to even former Olympic great Carl Lewis. So be sure to search the Scott and Holman podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, we spell podcast P-A-W-D cast because we are oh so funny like that. Current and former athletes, members of the athletic department, and of course, the best fans in the country all make up a very special group we like to call the Cyclone family. Join me, Jamie Steyer Johnson, as I bring you closer to the people that make Iowa State unique each week on the Cyclone family podcast. Some names you may know, while others may be new to you, but one thing's for sure. This is one family reunion you won't want to miss. Each week on the Cyclone Family Podcast. Not a lot of basketball to talk about at this point, um, but I, I do want to talk about this, Andy. Um, the Athletic ran a survey for Big 12 fans, um, discussed a couple of different things, and so I just kind of wanted to run through this survey a little bit for those who haven't had a chance to read it, or maybe you're not subscribed and weren't able to participate. I did participate in the survey as well. Um Let's start off with this. <laughs> all, all the caveat that has to be added here to a lot of these numbers. Ask everybody what your favorite team was. Um, you will be shocked to know this, Andy. Shocked, shocked. Maybe not that shocked that the oh two fan bases and they included 
Future Pick 12 teams, Cincinnati, BYU, uh, UCF, and Houston in the survey. The two teams who had the highest percentage of fans participate are the two teams who have had dedicated riders on the athletic for quite a while, Oklahoma and Cincinnati. Again, not that shocked. Um, followed by Texas, massive fan base, of course. Then Iowa State, who uh, a rabid fan base, and so on and so forth. But uh, the OU and Cincinnati should just take a lot of this with a grain of salt, like there are more Oklahoma fans than anybody else, and then Cincinnati fans. So, okay. Um, I don't care about who's going to win the Big 12 next year. Okay. How would you rate your happiness with your team's head coach? Right now on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the happiness, happiest, uh, Luke Fickle, Cincinnati was number one, 9.96. Not too shocking based on Cincinnati making the playoff. Yeah. Aranda, Matt Campbell, uh, Joey McGuire, uh, Kalani Sataki. Uh, these all make sense, right? Brett Venables, Gus Malzahn, Lance Leipold with a nine. Still a lot of excitement around Kansas based off what he did year one. I saw some OSU people getting mad because Mike Gundy only had an 8.48. Out of 10. Out of 10. Like, well, and, and it looks bad because he's ninth on the list. But some of these are like Lance Leipold. He's had one season. Brent Venables has, hasn't coached a game. Joey McGuire hasn't coached a game yet, right? Kalani Sataki, it's two straight double-digit win seasons. Iowa State fans love Matt Campbell. Of course, it's a high number. Luke Fickle. Right. Cincinnati <laughs> coming up. Like, it doesn't, like, like, none of that bothers me as much as I feel like some OSU, like, getting mad about Gundy's treatment. And look, I know what I said on Twitter about his new contract. I stand by it. That's $2 million. It's $2 million on an athletic department budget that could could afford to spend that in other places than just one guy, unless you can show me direct ROI from paying a head coach who's already an established head coach an extra $2 million on top of the five and a half he's already making. Anywho, the idea that, like, my gun is too low here. Like, uh, you could put him higher. I think it's more like, how can you have him behind these other guys? But this isn't ranking, like, who's the best head coach. It's just how happy are you with your head coach? And I love the line from The Dark Knight. Either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And Mike Gundy's been doing this for so long, there's just going to be detractors. And while I am a defender of Mike Gundy, yes, despite the the con- contract points that I have made, like, I get when people are upset, but I also think, like... <laughs> I think OSU fans are going to be a little bit um, shocked when 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 Gundy decides to retire, and we see just how good of a program Oklahoma State actually is. Yeah, I, honestly, looking at those numbers, like the the thing that surprised me the most out of that was that Luke Fickle only got a nine point nine six out of ten. Like <laughs> not, not a ten. Right. What does like, he need to do for you people? Yeah, I know. Like they actually talked about that in the article, but it's like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> Cincinnati gets into the Big Twelve, makes a college football playoff, like. Everything that he has done there, and you telling me that somebody like it's probably just one person as well that gave him a nine instead of a ten, and I'm just like, like that person must have the absolute highest standards possible uh, for anything. No, I thought was what was more interesting one that Gus Malzahn was as highly rated as he was over at UCF, um, mainly because I think that's more just ignorance on my part in terms of what, how they actually feel about him, but it's it's a good baseline information to have. Um, you know, but I, I think obviously uh, Steve Sarkeesian kind of <laughs> is a direct reflection on the season that they had, the first one. Um, Neil Brown at 5.2 tells you where the, the West Virginia fan base is at this point and, and kind of tells you how hot that seat is for him 
Um, and the one that you kind of pointed out as we were talking before we got started here was Sonny Dykes at only 6.64. Um, you know, doesn't seem like most TCU fans are super happy. And maybe some of that circumstances about Gary Patterson being, you know, kind of forced out. Um, and maybe it's literally that they just don't like Sonny Dykes as the guy. Uh, but I'm sure it's probably a mixture of both. But that tells you that, you know, he has a lot of work to do to win over that fan base, to get them to the point where what he does is going to be good enough for them. So I'll be really interested to see what he does this year. That's probably going to be one of the bigger storylines. Like those three coaches at the bottom are probably the biggest coaching storylines in the big 12 this year. Um, You know, is can they do enough to win over the fan base that they have, or in some cases save their jobs because there's a lot of people that are going to be watching. I have to wonder on Sonny Dykes, if that number would have been higher had they done this survey before Rashad samples left to go to the NFL. Because a big part of what Dykes was bringing was his coaching staff, more than Dykes. And bringing in this ace recruiter in, in, in Rashad Samples. Samples leaves to become the running back coach at the Rams. Still weird me, weird to me, but whatever. I wonder if you've already lost this guy, which was this huge selling piece of you coming to TCU. You've lost him before the season he's even started, and he's gone off to the NFL. How that impacted that? That makes me curious. Okay, uh, who's the most? Who's the Big 12's most underrated coach? Number one was Dave Aranda, twenty-five point six percent. Mike Gundy was number two with twenty-four point two. Leipold, three with fifteen point six. Okay, um, I love Dave Aranda. I've sprouted nothing good about, but nothing but good things about Dave Aranda on this podcast. So before anybody's like, you don't like him, listen to any episode where I talk about Baylor. I love Dave Aranda. We're Big Twelve Media Days, and I could have just sat and listened to him talk about football for like. The, until the end of time uh, because it's just so interesting. Is he underrated when I'm seeing a, a coaching ranking poll come out this offseason that had him in the top 10, had him like numbered, I think it was either 10 or 11, like 10th, the 10th best coach in the head coach in the country. Um, he had a terrible record in year one and then had a great record in year two. Um, can I get a little bit more from him before we're like, he's underrated? Is he Is he underrated? Is he overrated? Is he fairly rated? Like, I feel like there's this weird thing with Aranda where, like, Baylor fans feel like he deserves to be, like, top five ranked. Just, like, I I don't have enough data on Dave Aranda as a head coach to sit here and say, this is what he's going to be. Because, like, how do, like, if you, in most... Most things when you're trying to find the middle ground, right? You're trying to find decide something, you throw out the two outliers, the the worst and the best. That's literally what his first two seasons have been. Yeah, like, the worst possible and the best possible. I don't know who he is yet. I think he's amazing. I think he's going to be a great head coach, but like, I don't know how to rate him as underrated. Yeah, I mean, I can I can understand people talking about look at the huge improvement, right, that he had from year one to year two, and the fact that it was his first year ever as a head coach. Right. You expect some some bumps. You expect some issues. And the fact that he improved so much from year one to year two by identifying what the big issue was on his coaching staff and filling it and getting that. Like, I can understand why people think he has a huge trajectory, but I can guarantee you that the vast majority of that, you know, calling him underrated is literally just because Stuart Mandel and Bruce Feldman did not include him on the top 25 fair. of their rankings. Fair, fair. Yeah. But the reason that they didn't and they explained it very clearly in the article was we didn't include him because we didn't include anybody who has only two years of head coaching experience because we don't know if it's sustainable. We, we think, I, I think they even had, I, I didn't actually pull it back up, but 
I believe it was either there or on Twitter where one of them had said, look, if we included every single coach, Aranda probably would have made it in the top 15, like easily. But we set these, this criteria because we wanted to look at established coaches where we feel like we have enough data to make an actual informed decision. And I fully support that because I am one of those people that when I was doing my own, you know, like power rankings of, or like my, my own poll for like the, the college basketball season that I used to do when I was over at Rock Shock Talk, we would wait until conference season started. Like we would wait till the end of December because then I felt like I actually had enough data that the people I was asking to tell me who they thought the best 25 teams in the nation were could actually look at those teams and not base it all off of projections from the beginning of the season, right? Like before we actually saw any data. Um, it's the same issue that I have with the AP poll for college football coming into the year, the, the preseason poll. It's all based off projections. It's all based off people's opinions on what they think people are going to do, not based off of what we've actually seen those guys do. And yes, you, you can take, you know, collections of players from the prior year, but there's a lot of things that we don't know based off of the way that they interact with other players. And I'm getting off on a tangent here or there, but I think that the, the methodology was good there, right? Where you can't make a really good decision about where Aranda should be rated, but everybody holds Dave Aranda and what he's done the first few years in really high regard. So for him to lead this saying that he's the most underrated coach, the only thing I can think of is that it's based off the fact that he was not included on the athletics owned top 25 coaching ranking. But again, they gave a damn good reason for why he was not included in there. And because it was, it was a methodology issue. It had nothing to do with what they actually think about him. Yeah, fair enough. I'm honestly also surprised that Lance Leipold ranked up as high as he did with 15.6%. Um, because let me tell you, I love what Leipold does, but you look at what he's done and like the job that he has to do. And yes, he had a phenomenal year one in Kansas, but I really don't know. Like there's tons of people, again, that think super highly of Leipold. And so like, I don't know how much higher regard you expect Leipold to be held in at this point, because there's people that already talk about, you know, the national championship he won at, at Wisconsin Whitewater. They talk about what he did at Buffalo and how great the turnaround was. You know, he is widely being heralded by a bunch of people as the guy that can get Kansas football turned around if anybody can do it. So like, and he's already shown those signs. He's getting the props for it. So unless you're expecting people to be saying that Lance Leipold should be, you know, the second or third best coach in the big 12, and he's going to get them you know, to a bowl game this year. Like, like if that's your expectation, then I think you're setting the bar a little too high for where everybody should be. Am I saying it's outside the realm of possibility that Kansas could have a, you know, a phenomenal leap forward and potentially qualify for a bowl. It's not outside the realm of possibility. It's definitely not very likely. And so if that's your expectation that he should be getting the credit because of that potential, then I think that you are buying way too much into hype, not just, you know, with Leipold, but with a bunch of people. So like, I honestly am shocked that he came in at third with 15.6%. I would have expected him to be a lot lower. Yeah. Uh, Kleiman had 14.7. That was my pick. I think only getting 14.7 proves the point. He is underrated. Uh, overrated. Steve Sarkeesian, number one, with 53.1% of the voice of the vote. I think Some my favorite part becomes, of that, yeah. I think my favorite part of that was that it was a true majority. Like it was over fifty percent oh. that said Sarkeesian. Yes, yes. Uh, Matt Campbell second at twenty six percent. You can't argue against Sark, though. Like I, I think some of this becomes like when you say overrated. Like I think it, you start arguing with like national perspective, right? Like. Everyone had all these these crazy thoughts about Sark. And look, I, I thought he might do well in year one. Um, I fought into some of the things that were being sold there. I won't do that again. Don't worry. 
Matt Campbell at two, I think very much was based off of the expectations for this season and, and how the season went for Iowa State. Um, even though, you know, what Campbell says, isn't, <laughs> they don't they don't have expectations or whatever. Um, like, I'm not shocked Campbell's second. I, I kind of wonder, I really would have been interesting, like, if Lincoln Riley was still here, it, would he be number two at this point? Or would he, it's Matt Campbell is still number two. Like, I think people are so just want to, like, we're tired of hearing about Matt Campbell. I don't think he's overrated. Like, honestly, I think most of this, like, more than this, than 53% should have gone to Sark for how people tried to sell Texas heading into the year and what they inevitably did. Like, you could have given Sark, like, 75, 80% of the vote and then split the rest of it up however you wanted to. I think that would have been more fair than Matt Campbell getting 26%. I, I did find it interesting that the you know they they actually called out Kansas State fans as the ones that contributed the most the Matt Campbell overrated <laughs> score yes they um, did yeah I'm wondering I'm wondering how much of that is rivalry related um, because I can tell you right now there's a lot of Kansas State fans that I know that because of the Farmageddon series are do not like Matt Campbell at all and I'm wondering how much personal bias came into this as opposed to actually thinking that he's overrated it it doesn't even feel like the rivalry there's just a lot of Kansas State fans who are just like hot and bothered by Matt Campbell. And I don't like more than just like because of on field results, like it's like really angry section of the fan base. And I don't, I don't understand it. Like I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, okay. I want to get down to one. Let's see. Uh, Playoff size, yada, yada, yada. In the NIL, cool. Bullsby performance. Um, how do you feel about OU and Texas leaving? <laughs> I love some of those. Uh, <laughs> satisfaction <laughs> with the new members coming in. 50% was very satisfied. 31% was somewhat satisfied. So 81.4% were happy with it. 2.1% uh, very unsatisfied. <laughs> I would like to know what you wanted. Um, make the Big 12 more competitive. Strongly agree and somewhat agrees, like 70%. Okay. All right. I here's am, the one. I am curious about that one. That felt to me like a question of when you're asking about being more competitive, are you talking about internally competitive with each other or are you talking about competitive on the national scene? And and so, like, I, I have to think that most of the people that disagreed with that are probably thinking more of the competitive yes. on the national scene yeah. as opposed to if I was reading this, I would think – well, you're adding a bunch of teams that could potentially compete at the top that are going to make it a lot harder for any one team to just, you know, tear out uh, away from everyone else. Um, so, like, I think if you're looking at how strong this conference is going to be from top to bottom in the next few years when these teams are here, I definitely think that that's going to be a lot more. It's going to be much more difficult to win this conference going away. And the Big 12 is going to be the most interesting conference race year in and year out for the next decade in college football. After OU and Texas leave, like SEC's kind of is, but as long as Nick's there, it's not. The ACC, maybe. We'll see if Dabo can get it rolling again now that he's had to replace like his entire coaching staff. Um, but like the Big Twelve, like you, you could really see a lot of a lot of diversity in winners. Okay, here's the one I want to get to. <laughs> Don't even say anything after it. Should the Big Twelve have divisions in the future? Yes, sixty-three point seven percent. Yuck. Andy, we have not done our jobs well. We have not done the jobs well enough here in the podcast to convince everybody the divisions are crap. 
And here's Either the bigger that reason. or our fans have not done enough to spread the gospel that we are preaching here about how horrible divisions are. Divisions are coming. We know they are. And after they announced, or, or it has been released enough times that divisions are coming, I lost all hope. And, and I forget who I was talking to about this. Um, I don't trust the Big 12, the athletic directors, presidents, the conference as a whole, to not make the worst possible decision. And you're going to see all sorts of like, well, they should put these teams and these teams. Um, shouts to um, five five Q cowpoke U. I don't know who it is. It's at cowpoke underscore U on Twitter. Um, he snapped a shot of a poster at BYU, and it shows what he thought might be accidentally leaked divisions in the Big Twelve, right? Because it has a six on top and six underneath, and they're in a weird order. Basically, it's BYU because it's at BYU. Then the current Big 12 teams in alphabetical order, and then the other three new teams in a weird order. Central Florida, no, Cincinnati, Houston. So I don't actually think this is what the divisions would be, because it, right now it's split like one division would be BYU, Baylor, Iowa State, Kansas State, Kansas, Oklahoma State. Then it would be TCU, Texas Tech, West Virginia, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston. I don't think this is what this is. I think BYU put themselves ahead of an alphabetical order and then added three at the end. I, that's, that's my viewpoint. But I've really thought, okay, we're going to do divisions. Let's go through, like, how should we do this? How to make this creative? And and I started trying to, to do that, and then I just said stop. Because what I fear is most likely to happen is they're going to just make north and south again. And I don't know how they're going to do that. I don't know how they're going to deal with central going all the way from Provo, Utah to Orlando, Florida, and probably not putting UCF and BYU in the same division because that would be silly. But I, I just... And you can't, you, you you cannot stack the conferences in a way where you're going to force balance, right? There's no way. It's right. not possible. Um, obviously, the old North and South, you had Oklahoma and Texas in the South, and Oklahoma and Texas dominated the conference for the most part, and so the South was the most dominant. But I don't want to know, I, I, like, I am very much afraid that whatever they do is going to be just the most, like, eh, possible scenario it would not shock me if the south if it's south with the four texas schools uh west virginia and ucf and then the north with everybody else and i'm like okay you've got a geographical nonsense in this conference now like it, it, i don't when i say balance what i really just want is a nice mix where the four texas schools aren't just in the same division like mix it up a little bit a little bit I don't trust the Big 12 to not do it in an interesting or, or, or unique way. I have a feeling we're going to have we're going to have the the north, the north and the south again, and all the Texas schools will be able to draw this weird geographic line. I'm going to be like, great. Don't get me wrong. West Virginia feels like a southern state. Um, they're basically an S, they, the SEC school mentality. So I, it wouldn't shock me if it's the four Texas schools, West Virginia, UCF, and one in the south, and everybody else in the north. But like, I'm just ah, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's. You know, I would almost I would almost be tempted to say, like, if they could find a way to do, you know, pods of three or pods of four for scheduling, right? But then keep the conference where it's the two best records. Because you, you obviously have to do something scheduling. Because once you get that back up to 12, you can't do round robin. Like, it's it's just not possible. <laughs> Absolutely no way. Um, so you have to figure something out for scheduling. But 
I definitely think that there's room to be doing something creative scheduling wise. And there's really nothing. There's actually nothing. Like I went back and looked from what I can tell when they, when they started making exceptions for teams like the big or for conferences, like the big 12 to have a conference title game without having 12 teams, they essentially made it so that you don't have to do divisions. Anymore. Uh, it, it, um, it, no, they gave, they gave the big 12. I'm sorry, I'm basically, sorry. The rule is still there. You can basically appeal to, to, to change it for your conference. But with the changing of the, the, the NCAA's constitution, one of the thought processes is like the ACC has talked about doing away with divisions. It feels like it's going to be one of those things where like, if you go say, Hey, we want to put the two best teams in, which they still should, which they absolutely still should put the two best teams in. It sets you up for the best opportunity to get a team in the playoff or multiple teams in depending upon once the playoff expands. If like, the idea of putting like it used to be like okay now you're gonna have a real situation where you might have a, an 11 and one team versus an eight and four or a nine and three put the two best teams in it's better for everybody just put the two, and we've had great conference championship games since they've gone to that model do the two best teams in continue sir yeah and 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 i definitely misspoke there I, I think they opened up the door of the pathway to be able to put the two the two best teams in regardless and so like you see the the sec right getting to the point where they are looking at pods potentially and doing that sort of thing um i definitely think that there's room even if we even if we just stick at 12 right and we try to do like three team pods for scheduling purposes and then you take the two best teams and put them in like there are a lot of different ways that you can do it that aren't just the same lazy we're going to go back to north and south divisions um and again like you said north and south divisions don't even actually make sense with this conference anymore because of how geographically spread out it is there's not a good grouping of you know teams that you can put together geographically that aren't going to create really weird situations where you have teams that are traveling way too much compared to the other teams that are in their division um and so, yeah, I, I don't like the idea of divisions. Unfortunately, I think we're going to end up being stuck with it, but it just really shows a lack of imagination um, on a lot of people's parts, mainly because I don't think they want to rock the boat any more than it's already been rocked. But, you know, as we found the Big 12 time and time again, by not wanting to rock the boat, they've set themselves up for other people to dictate what happens to their conference. And so I think they need to be creative. They need to find new ways to keep pushing the boundaries. Be the conference that's innovating, that's finding new ways to do things. And I mean, that in and of itself will establish your value, will make it interesting for people to be paying attention. I think that's going to increase, you know, it, it would it would increase the um, the people that are interested in the conference that aren't actually, you know, people that go to schools or are fans of the schools that are in the conference as well. And that's really what the Big 12 needs to do is they need to get other people interested in the conference more than just the people that are actually in the conference. And if they can do that, that will help with the longevity of the conference that will help in the next round of realignment that we all know is coming. It's just a matter of when. All right. Um, which Big 12 football program will win the most conference titles over the next decade? Oklahoma State had led this with 29.6% of the vote. Baylor lit was in second with 28.7. Cincinnati was 17. Okay. Here's that's not shocking to me. Um, and then everybody else was pretty close. Houston with 4.6 down to BYU at 3. Point. Like, this isn't shocking to me who was picked. This note's interesting. Among the 912 fans who did not vote for their favorite team, Oklahoma State was the top pick with 41%, followed by Baylor with 37%, Cincinnati with 9 and Houston with 4 The programs that received the least respect from the voters, i.e. those who did not vote for their own team, Kansas State got 4 votes, Kansas got 3, and West Virginia got 0. Repeat that. Of the 912 fans who didn't pick their favorite team, 
Four people picked Kansas State to win the most titles. Three people picked Kansas, and zero picked West Virginia. That's crazy. <laughs> I just keep looking at that and going, what? I... Wait, wait. Are you more shocked that there's people that picked Kansas or more shocked that nobody picked West Virginia? Nobody picked West Virginia. Nobody outside of West Virginia. The only people who voted for West Virginia, West Virginia got 0.8%. The only people that voted for West Virginia was West Virginia fans to, quote, to again, win the most conference titles over the next decade. Kansas got 0.7%. That means that Kansas got more than I, I. Do people forget West Virginia's in the conference? I think a big part of that too, though, is you have to look, especially for the fans that have been here for quite a while, right? You have to look at whether the program has ever even come close. West Virginia has been good in the Big 12, but they've never seriously competed for a Big 12 title in their time here, right? Kansas, as bad as they've been in the last decade, we have seen a good Kansas team. We have seen a Kansas team that went to the Orange Bowl in our lifetimes, right? (laughs) Like we have seen that if they get the right coach there, that they can be competitive. And, you know, as long as they don't win a heartbreaker to Missouri, which, you know, now Missouri's not in the conference, that's not going to happen anymore. They can get themselves to a championship game and have an opportunity to to win a championship. So like, this is one of those things where I think it's just more believable because we've actually seen Kansas in that position. We've seen Kansas state win a big 12 championship before that it's a little bit easier to, you know, get over your, you know, your, uh, I guess, reticence to pick a school that isn't one of the favorites, isn't one of those teams that just immediately comes to mind. Um, so you're either, you know, you're either super high on what's happening with that school, in like right now, and you think that they're going to win a few coming up, or you believe that their program can get to the point that it needs to be to be able to win multiple championships at the end of that window. I don't know that I can really lump West Virginia into either of those buckets. They haven't had a lot of success competing at the top of the conference. And the situation that they're in with Neil Brown, and it's a crapshoot when you go hire a brand new coach, like I don't know that Neil Brown can get them to the top of the conference. He can probably get them to the middle of the conference if if things go well. Um, But it's going to take a big leap to see them doing that. I don't know that a decade is enough time to feel super comfortable that they're going to be able to get more conference titles than any other team in the, in the, in the conference. Like the only hope for a a school like Kansas and Kansas state and West Virginia is that they somehow managed to win two in a decade. And there's a whole bunch of other schools that win one, like for those three schools, I think that's the pathway for it to actually happen. It's hard to pick West Virginia as a team that can do that. And that's coming from a, you know, like I, I can understand why people have a hard time doing that for Kansas as a Kansas fan. I can understand why people have a hard time doing that for Kansas state. I fully understand why it's hard for West Virginia because of the history, because of where they are at right now. And I don't like to say it because I do. I mean, I do like what West Virginia is doing there. I like Neil Brown as a person. I don't know that he's the right fit for West Virginia. Hopefully they can get it turned around. But if I'm having to pick someone and pick the one team, you know, the one school that's most likely, I'm sorry, West Virginia doesn't even come close to making the list for me. After all that, which is beautifully articulated. I think three people just were being funny. For Kansas? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. yeah no, that's fair. Like, if, if if that's what it came out, like, if you found the three people and they were just like, yeah, I picked Kansas because I just wanted to pick somebody and it felt like the funniest way to answer it. It would be like, okay, that's fair. I believe it. 
I mean, on average, you'd expect a survey of a few, you know, a little over a thousand people. You're going to get a few people who are like, <laughs> what's the funniest answer I can do here? Right. What's the best way I can mess with the results? This is it. This is the this is the funny answer. Uh, let's see. It is halftime. Uh, and T- Stanford is up 30 to 27 on Texas. Uh, the Oscars are also going on right now. Uh, let's see. Anybody, any winners? Look, I used to watch everything. I used to watch the uh, the Oscars like religiously. I made sure I saw every movie beforehand. Uh, I don't anymore because I have kids, and so I, I I'm I'm terrible. Uh, I have seen Encanto, so go watch that. Me too. Uh, this feels it's so it's so good. It's so. Good. I don't watch a lot of movies anymore, so I'm not familiar with most of the nominees for anything, but. I do watch a decent amount of Disney movies because my daughter loves them. I mean, I have I have two kids. We watch all of them. Uh, okay, this feels like a good place to wrap. Um, so, Andy, um, where can everybody check out your incredible podcast that's part of the network and uh, and check out your work? Yeah, over on Twitter, at Rock Chalk Pod. Obviously, you can subscribe everywhere that you get podcasts by looking up Rock Chalk Podcast. You can find all the work that I do covering Kansas over on bluewingsrising.com as well. And, of course, you can follow me personally for more than just Kansas, but the rest of the Big 12 over on Twitter at AndyMitz12. Find every show on the network at 1012network.com, T-E-N, the number 12, the word network. You can find us on Twitter at 1012network, T-E-N, the number 12, the word network. 1012pod on Instagram. Go check out every show. All the shows are incredible. They're all doing a ton of great work. Um, especially if you're an Iowa State fan, like Jamie's show, the Cyclone Family Podcast, the interviews she's been doing are fantastic. You should go and listen to them. Uh, they, they are evergreen. They are incredible. Uh, Andy's show is great. Our Oklahoma State show, Feels Like 45, is fantastic. They're doing a great job. I Between Two Bears is going to have their first episode in a couple weeks back. I know they've been busy, but it is hilarious. It's funny. It's great. Go check out every show we got. Okay. Go check them all out. And uh, we'll be back on Thursday uh, with another episode for your listening pleasure. Podcast Network.